the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. In fact, I think they're transcribing this even as we speak. Good afternoon to you. Welcome. It is, of course, Wednesday. It is the 8th day of April, in case you need some help keeping track of such things. You get turned around. I certainly do. After going on, what, three weeks of all of the shelter in place, after a while you start to wonder, what day of the week is this? Is the weekend here already? Well, weekend is coming, and we are looking forward to um, a joyous Easter celebration. There may not be the choir singing and uh, all the folks gathered in their Sunday finest, but, uh, you know, the beautiful thing is, even if we don't gather because we are protecting each other from COVID-19, does not, by one iota, impact the fact that he is risen. Want to keep that sort of top of mind as we launch into today's program. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about COVID-19 in the wake of Bible prophecy. Mark Hitchcock will join us. He has his doctorate from Dallas Theological Seminary, where Chuck Swindoll is currently the president. And he is senior pastor at Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. We're going to talk a bit about the issue of tribulation, Bible prophecy, and where we stand in the light of the current pandemic. We'll get to that conversation a little bit later on. And then a fascinating visit. Boy, if you're a parent frustrated, it sounded like fun. little downtime with the kids. That was three weeks ago. Now everybody's on everybody's last nerve. Sound familiar? Well... We've got a conversation with Mark Hancock coming up tonight in the second hour that I think will bring you great encouragement. Um, Our friends over at Trail Life USA are putting together what they're calling the National Backyard Campout that can um, give a little bit of welcome relief, I think, to families and and help to make some better memories than where we're currently at. Because so far it's all about binge-watching Netflix, hopefully spending a lot of time with the family and um, being fearful of what's on the outside. So we'll get to that conversation, some great coping skills that can help you and your kids when we visit with Mark Hancock from Trail Life USA. Well, speaking of um, frustration, of course, in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic around the globe, and particularly here at home, um, we've just been battered at every turn. We've got the highest number of exposure of any nation in the world. And before it's all said and done, we may find the highest number of financial liability of any nation in the world. If you've not looked at your fourth quarter IRA or 401k reports, I would say that's a good thing. (laughs) Probably don't. Just leave them in the envelope, stick them in the bottom drawer, and forget about them for a while. Um, Because we're we're in uncharted territory here 
how do we deal with this? Even as today, the Dow closed up 700. We'll get some relief with the markets closed on Friday for Good Friday. But meanwhile, there's debate. Debate over, is this being handled right? Um, have we taken draconian measures to deal with a draconian disease? Or um, could, the, could the cure be more dangerous, more lethal um, than the virus that we're trying to chase after? Meaning, as much as we are concerned, first and foremost, with the preservation and protection of human life, um, there's another gamble that we've played here, and that is in an effort to try and preserve human life, we've also put the economy into a tailspin. I mean, we were up at $22 trillion in debt before the signing of the bailout package, and there's talk of more on the way. So we're going to be a nation that's suddenly $25 trillion in debt, and um, no possible way of digging out of that, certainly anytime soon. But what of striking a balance here? Well, we get some insights from a well-respected economist. He's a frequent radio and television guest, author and journalist, publisher of the Affluent Investor Daily. He's Jerry Bowyer. And Jerry, thanks so much for being with us today. I guess the big challenge here is that, you know, even if we try to look back at other difficult intersections in U.S. history, be it um, World War II, the Great Depression, even the 1918 flu pandemic, nothing really is on the same scale of the impact economically as what we're seeing right now with COVID-19. Yes, in terms of the sharpness of the scale. In other words, a very, very sharp drop. But um, that's different than, say, the Great Depression was essentially a lost decade. Um, and uh, I would argue that something like the, the Great Depression is much more difficult because basically people give up, a whole generation can give up on the idea of economic advancement and the idea of their you know, children's lives being better than theirs are, and it creates a general scarcity mentality. Um, whereas an economy as resilient as America's is able to take an event blow, go down hard, and come back up hard as well. So I think there's a, I want to make a distinction between recessions that are structural recessions, something like with the Great Depression when the policy mix was so bad, my friend Amity Schley said that the policy mix was so bad that capital went on strike, that basically it didn't pay to be in business for a whole decade. Um, and so essentially the taxes were high, the currency was unstable, regulations were choking things. Um, or a war, which comes along and destroys infrastructure, destroys roads and bridges and factories, and so it takes years to rebuild, as opposed to what we have now, which is a pause button. Um, it's not destroying fundamental infrastructure. Um, it's definitely it's, it's definitely slowing our economy. Uh, the second quarter is going to be horrible. Um, but that we need to put that in perspective. A pause is not a crash. Um, and there's no that I can see. There's no underlying damage to the fundamental ability of the United States economy to function. Once we push the pause button and you know, push the play button and start it rolling again. Well, you know, and the utter irony, too, and you've, you've kind of hinted at this, that there were a number of factors that went into the 1929 market crash, um, even dealing with the issue of what happened to the economy in 2008, 2009, with the derivative situation, real estate, et cetera, et cetera. You know, th those were multi-layered, very complex economic events, where here it was just literally saying one day, 
look at what's happening. We need to take a proactive approach to preventing this from just ravaging the health of America. So we're going to, in the midst of historically low unemployment numbers, Wall Street hovering at at all-time highs, everything cooking on all eight cylinders in so many of the fundamental indicators of the markets and the economy, and suddenly say, we're going to slam our foot on the brake, intentionally so, um, out of the belief that there will be a greater good that will come out of this. Yes, and that's important, what you said, intentionally so. It's the unintentional recessions that are scary, right? Because if we didn't put the brake on, then what's wrong? Is the engine broken? Are we out of gas? You know, what's the problem? But we did this intentionally, and I think we did it with goodwill. We can argue about whether we did it perfectly, but I think we're a country that honors life, um, including the lives of the elderly. You know, somebody who's 80 or 85 years old and has diabetes uh, is in a very vulnerable position, and their life is sacred. And I'm proud of the fact that America is willing to push the pause button for that person. Now, does that mean we did it perfectly? No, there could have been smarter in many ways. But if you hand me a decision, human life versus human growth, and we choose human life, that's the right decision. Now, I don't like the way that it got framed. I don't think we really, I don't think it's the right way to think about things to play off human life against against human prosperity, survival versus thriving. Um, I don't think that's the right way to approach it. It's kind of a lifeboat um, scenario. It's a kind of a, you know, Malthusian, like God is stingy, and we have to, if we're going to have money, then old people have to die, and if old people live, then we don't have money. I don't really think that's really a redemptive way to look at it. I think that the, the vision we get in the Bible is a vision where if we're wise and prudent and obedient, we don't have those trade-offs. We can improve the lot of both. And I think uh, there are wise approaches that we can be used, that, that can be used. And I really don't like, there's something about our culture that a week into a quarantine, just like seven or eight days into a quarantine, all of a sudden we have this explosive debate, even among conservatives, Christian conservatives like me saying, well, it's only going to be 1%, and they were going to die anyway, and, um, and we can't commit economic suicide. Well, of course we can't commit economic suicide. But um, we, we got a little, we went pretty quickly to just how important are the lives of the elderly without thinking about, wait a minute, can we seek wisdom, um, and can we have both things? Can we have, survive, can we have sanctity of life? Can we have life and abundance at the same time? Yeah, I think we can. Yeah, I, I thoroughly agree with you, and I think that some of the debate has been very disappointing. I've even heard some comments made by um, a, a couple of political leaders that have suggested that, you know, uh, hey, if you're 70 years old, you've, give, you've served, you've lived, you've raised your kids, you've met your grandchildren, uh, time now for you to kind of take one for the team. And I don't think that squares at all with what we see in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the notion of survival of the fittest. We're suddenly back to uh, Darwinian theories of evolution here, and uh, I, I think that that's a very dangerous place for us to enter into. Where I do think the national dialogue can and should be, and that is this. Okay, we've pressed the play button how delicately it was done, whether or not mistakes were made in doing so, and along the way, you know, I guess historians will have a chance to to debate that one day. I'm wondering, though, Jerry, from your unique perspective, when we we go from 
pressing pause to pressing play once again, should there be a strategic fashion in which we do it? For example, uh, the administration has talked about a lot, they did during the campaign four years ago, um, this notion of wanting to care for the infrastructure of America, an infrastructure that, quite frankly, I, I think we, we went, went great guns in the 1950s and 60s and early 70s, and then we kind of put everything on hold, and now our bridges, our roadways, our, our fundamental infrastructure in the nation is certainly showing some, some signs of age. Would it be smart, as a point of an example, as the administration, the president decides, okay, it's safe now, we can go back out, we're going to hit the play button, to start by slowly ramping up into areas like improvement of infrastructure where you can start feeding money back into the economy, getting some money in motion, getting people back to work again, and do so in a fashion where at least every construction job I've ever looked at or driven by is not typically 10 people in a crowd of, you know, six square feet. They're normally in machinery and they're far apart and would seem to me maybe a safe place where we could at least start to begin to getting some sea legs back to the economy. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, think about run a thought experiment. Let's imagine one scenario and another. So imagine a nightclub where there's a rock concert and a mosh pit. That mosh pit has almost no impact on our gross economic output. Our economy does not depend on that, but the virus does depend on that. Indeed. On the other hand, you've, give, you've given a good example. Let's talk about um, a bridge, building a bridge, or, main, or maintaining or improving a bridge. There's a lot of space between people. They're in the sunshine, so that has a certain antiseptic value. A lot of times they're wearing masks, and the economic impact is huge. I mean, you look at, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the data right now for gross output. Manufacturing is 16% of our annual gross output. All right, I'm looking at another category here, performing arts, spectators, sports, museums, and related activity. So this is all the public stuff together, all the concerts and sports and all the rest of it, all glommed together into one category. How big is it? It's half a percent of the economy. I mean, if that all went away, and no one's talking about zeroing that out, but if that went to zero, um, that would be a half percent shrinkage in the economy. We wouldn't even, we'd barely notice that. We'd, we'd notice the footage, TV would say we've got an empty stadium, but it doesn't have a lot of economic punch, but it has a lot of crowds. Amusements, gambling and recreation industries, less than half a percent. So all the amusement parks and all the casinos and all the rest of that stuff, and that wouldn't have to go away. Some of this is outdoor park, et cetera. Uh, hotels, you know, that, all that hotels and resorts are, uh, less than than one percent. So these categories, maybe you know, we can get construction going again much much earlier, probably than we're opening up um, NBA games, right? It, which is internal. It, you know, it's you're inside. You know, there's a big crowd. It's in in space. It's not out outdoors. So I think we really need to approach uh, take this approach of. Can we get eighty percent of the way with twenty percent of the risk? Can we get eighty percent of the growth? with 20% of the risk? And can we get rid of 80% of the risk with 20% of, uh, of the effort? And we really can, because God made a world where you don't have to choose between these things. In the Old Testament, they had quarantines. It might have seemed wasteful to tear down the house of a leper, might have hurt the ancient Israelite GDP, 
But in the long run, if they had a prosperous, shalom, flourishing society, they could afford to take measures, but they also didn't shut everything down. If you find a leper's house, you tear down the leper's house, but you don't say, hold on. You know, the whole economy shuts down. But you do say, well, did anyone touch this leper? Have people been washing their hands? So there's a kind of common sense wisdom approach, which I think is really the biblical approach, which is so different than the stingy Malthusian, you have to choose between the love of your grandmother and your paycheck or, or, you know, or your tuition for your children. That's not God's economy. God's economy is choose both goods, not play goods off against one another. Yeah, and I and I like your point, Jerry. You're right on the 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 point with that because we've seen to make it one or the other of just the extremes without saying, you know, there is that whole area, that unexplored region in the middle. That again, with all fairness, this is all uncharted territory. If we had the manual and can go to the shelf and say, okay, national pandemics in a time of unprecedented growth in America, what to do? Take it off the shelf and follow, you know, page thirty-five and and take all the steps. It'd be easy thing, but we're not in that position. So I think getting the national dialogue going about how do we not do one or the other, but you know, as opposed to either or, it's a both and, I think. Uh, hey, just before our time runs out, I'd say a word, if you would, Jerry, because there are so many people right now that have seen their 401ks decimated if they were in equities to a, a very strong degree, high risk level. They, they've seen some phenomenally disappointing things happen to their retirement. Maybe some eavesdropping on our conversation right now that are saying, Craig, Jerry, retirement? What retirement? I'm going to have to put this thing off 10 years just to regain some ground. For folks that are looking for some guidance, just take a moment and tell us about the Affluent Investor Daily. Well, that's my uh, that's my newsletter, um, and people you can go there. Affluent Christian Investor, also Affluent Investor Daily. I'm also the editor at Town Hall Finance, which is um, in that's in the Greater Salem family. So you can read my stuff, or I'm available, you know, all over um, social media. But let me just say something to the people who are listening. I don't know. This might speak more than any analysis, which is you know, my wife and I had some cash set aside, some dry powder, because we thought valuations were too high as the Dow was getting towards thirty. Over the past three weeks, we've been investing. We've been buying, not selling. The fundamentals of the American economy are every bit as strong as they were before. This is not a destruction of value. When we go back to work in May, or even if it's June, we're not going to have forgotten how to do our jobs. The machines will still work. We won't forget how to run them. We are a first-world economy, the most prosperous economy in the history of the world, and we can handle this. Um, this is an event. We've had events before, and we've always come back. And the people who really missed out are the people who got terrified. They got fear-driven. And it breaks my heart to see Christians fear-driven, um, because yeah, we should we, be the we, least fear-driven people that, uh, that you know in the world, because we have the least to fear, and, because Easter's absolutely. coming, and, and there won't be church choirs, but there'll be heavenly choirs. Absolutely. And we need to differentiate between a, a strategy towards how we invest our money and save for retirement versus sort of this knee-jerk panic reaction. The sky is falling the, and the Dow as well. The other thing, too, and I remind listeners about this all the time, if you look just at the Dow numbers, that is probably the worst indicator that you can possibly look at for the health of the economy. I mean, it, it represents 30 companies. And certainly, as we've seen, Jerry, over the last several weeks, the impact of one company like, oh, I don't know, say Boeing, can have such a detrimental drag on the overall performance numbers of the Dow that either gives you false hope 
or uh, or or false fatality as to what's going on with the overall health of the economy. So, you know, the wise investor is the one that makes those choices based not on emotion, fear, greed, but rather on having a solid strategy in place. And, of course, information is power. If you're looking to get some information, uh, Jerry's got a great publication. It's called the Affluent Investor Daily, and you can get more information online at affluentinvestor.com. That's affluentinvestor.com. Also editor of the Town Hall Finance, Jerry Bauer, thank you so much for your time today and offering some encouragement and some insights to our listeners. All right, 525, we are way late. Let's step aside here, get you caught up in some traffic. We'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center for the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation, 534 here on your basic Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Don't forget, we've got some welcome relief for parents and uh, frustrated youngsters coming up at the 6 o'clock hour. Mark Hancock is going to join us, CEO of Trail Life USA. They're putting together what they're calling the National Backyard Campout that will encourage families to uh, get a little bit of welcome change of environment, literally pitch a tent in the backyard, all scheduled for April the 17th. And, uh, you know, barbecue outside and um, have some fun with it. We'll talk about that and how you can get involved coming up tonight in the second hour of the program. Well, here we are. We're trying to make sense of the impact on life, the impact on our economy. One observer suggested that once we do get back outside once again, that life in America will have changed and perhaps irrevocably so. In light of all of this, how do we put this into perspective? Um, you know, everything that, that we look at needs to go through the lens of Scripture. And if we open Scripture, what does it tell us about where we're at today? Some important lessons, perhaps, and we're going to turn to um, Pastor Mark Hitchcock for some answers. He has written over 30 books related to Bible prophecy. He has two degrees, including his Ph.D. from Dallas Theological Seminary, where I mentioned before our dear friend uh, Chuck Swindoll has served as president. He also serves as an associate professor there himself and is senior pastor at Faith Bible Church of Edmond, Oklahoma. And Pastor Hitchcock, great to have you on the program. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. I appreciate you all having me. You've got a new book out that, in fact, is going to be released in a matter of a week here on another global topic that I want to spend some time speaking about, and that, of course, is the threat of a nuclear Iran. But before we get to that and have a little dialogue about the Middle East, let's start here closer to home. As you review all of this from uh, your unique perspective of having spent decades studying Bible prophecy, eschatology, uh, we look at all of this, and I think some people are, are are trying to struggle with where are we at right now? Are we seeing the beginning of the end times? Now, when listeners have have asked me that question, I've I've typically said, well, the one thing that I can tell you to absolute certainty, no debate, no discussion, and that is this: we're one day closer today to Jesus's return than we were yesterday. <laughs> Aside from that, <laughs> well, that's, a good, that's a good one. Yeah, well, that's you know, that's a good good, to be good place to start. 
Yeah, good place to start. Well, but from 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 the yeah. the broader perspective, what are your thoughts? Well, let me just mention one thing real quickly. I've got I've actually got two books coming out pretty much back to back, and that's that's unusual. I've got a book that just came out. You mentioned about showdown with Iran, but I actually have a book coming out in a month called uh, Corona Crisis, and it's uh, with the same same group as with Thomas Nelson. And uh, deals with it's called pandemics, plagues, and the coming apocalypse. So I deal with all that, and and that with all of the things we're talking about in that book. You know, are these is this the tribulation period? Are these the birth pains in Matthew twenty four? You know, is this the judgment of God? You know, a lot of the questions like that, kind of the prophetic questions people are asking. Again, people have different views about the end times. You said, you know, we're one day closer to Jesus coming back. You know, all of us who are Christians, we all believe Jesus is coming back someday. Uh, we all believe in it. There's, there's different views about timing of events. My, my view is, is that the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture. Um, I think the rapture is going to take place at any moment, any time. There's nothing that has to happen before the rapture can occur. And so I think that's the next event on God's prophetic program. Um, so... When I look at events that are happening today, like coronavirus, you know, the Bible talks about plagues and the end times, pestilence. Um, Jesus talked about it in Luke 21, verse 11. Um, it's also mentioned in the book of Revelation. Um, I think what we see today with, with coronavirus is a, is a striking foreshadow of what's coming. I don't think what we see today is the fulfillment of those prophecies that will happen during the coming time of the tribulation period. But I think what we see today, it's a frightening foreshadow of that. And, you know, if we think this is bad today, you know, go read what the Bible says about these pestilence that are coming. But I, I do think, you know, as we look at our world today, we see the globalism today that is really setting everything up for viruses like this to spread around the world and uh, to proliferate and, you know, to go from, you know, one person in Wuhan, China, you know, last fall, if that's, if that's when it happened, to, you know, a few months later, it's in uh, over 180 countries in the world. And so the whole global system that we see that is really paving the way, I think, for a one-world ruler someday, the Antichrist, that vehicle is, is allowing plagues like this to spread. And it's also setting the stage because, I don't know, some of the folks may have read, you know, Gordon Brown, who used to be the prime minister of, of England, said, you know, we need a, we need a, a global body, um, an executive body, a one-world government to come and deal with these kinds of problems. So... What we see with coronavirus is not only exposing the globalism, but I think it's actually accelerating the globalism as well. So I think with, with this coronavirus, it, it really intersects with a lot of different areas uh, of Bible prophecy. And I think when we see things like this happening, you know, Jesus said, you know, when you know, these things begin to happen, you know, lift up your head and look up, you know, redemption's drawing near. And I think a lot of people are doing that. And it's certainly, if nothing else today, too, it's a wake-up call. Um, I think it's, you know, kind of bursting the bubble, the illusion of control that a lot of people have that, you know, we, we've got some kind of control over our lives. It's showing us how fleeting and fragile life really is. And so it's also a great opportunity for us to be witnesses for Christ uh, during this time. I think with people that have a lot of uncertainty, a lot of questions and a lot of fear. And, and certainly when Scripture talks about a time when there would be wars and rumors of wars and there would be earthquakes in diverse places i mean i i'm always you know living here in the san francisco bay area we're used to it when i wake up in the morning and see a report of a, you know a 6.5 earthquake happening in in oklahoma for example and wait a minute yeah that's certainly a diverse place from a from a historical seismic activity standpoint and then in addition to this massive pandemic one thing that has kind of sadly disappeared 
off the headline news, and I say sadly, a Pastor, because there's going to be, I think, great pain and suffering because of it, and that is that this massive swarm of locusts that has been descending on parts of the sub-Saharan um, continent of Africa and promises to absolutely decimate crops. I mean, it, it, they can in one day devour enough crops that could feed a country for three months. It's phenomenal. And we see all of these things happening, and the amazing thing is we can open Scripture and go, yeah, that's talked about, and this is talked about, and that's talked about. And I guess the important question then is, not so much can we precisely tune in on a date. We're not trying to date set so we can, you know, if I knew my house was going to burn down on a specific date, I could hold off buying fire insurance until 24 hours before. I'm not talking about doing that. But rather, as you suggested a moment ago, really see this as a warning, perhaps initially as a wake-up call for the church in kind of a Second Chronicles 7.14 spirit, and then along with that, a wake-up call to the rest of the world. And this is really perhaps a, a unique opportunity with so much fear and confusion out there and people literally fearful for their very lives for the church, especially here at Easter, to stand tall and to be very proud and bold in proclaiming the gospel. Well, that's right. I mean, everybody's got a lot worse. We all have, we're all inflicted with a lot worse virus than the, than the coronavirus. We've all got the sin virus, and it's fatal, mm. and... Um, there's only one remedy for it, and that's the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so that's, that's the message we want to be communicating to people. But I think, you know, even people that are out there who don't even know much about the Bible at all, I kind of like to say, you know, there's this uh, apocalypse is in the air. Um, it's kind of like there's a, a sense a lot of people have that the world's getting near closing time. In fact, there was a, a poll just a couple weeks ago done by McLaughlin and Associates 44.3% of the people in America said uh, that they believed that this was a, a judgment from God or that this was uh, a sign of, of, of the end times or both. And 29% said that we're living now in what the Bible calls the last days. So that's almost half the people in America think this is some kind of a judgment or a wake-up call from God or a sign of the times. So, you know, and again, that's just registered voters. That's not Christians. So I think there's a and, you know, there's this sense out there that people that, hey, something ominous is coming. And again, we're, we're the only ones that have an answer. And, and you know, I, to put this in perspective, even if it isn't, and, you know, I mean, we, can, we can certainly point to passages in Scripture where um, the, the disciples talked about, well, they, the feeling that, that Christ's return was imminent, and they were talking within decades of Jesus' ministry here on earth, not millennia. But that said, um, whether it's today, tomorrow, or 300 years from now, these events, I think, can and most naturally should call us to all take account for where we stand in our relationship with God, um, the, the, the notion that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and, um, and as I suggested a moment ago, and for the church to also realize that, you know, Second Chronicles 7.14 calls first and foremost on the church to humble itself and pray and turn from our wicked ways, and to seek his face. And in doing so, he would heal the land. And I think most importantly for us to realize that as the church, this is not a time for us to stand by idly or say, aren't we glad we've got our fire insurance? Too bad you don't. Uh, but rather to be really engaged in giving an answer for the hope that lies within. Would you agree? No, that's right. I mean, it's a time for the church to do that. I mean, you know, A.W. Tozer said, you know, uh, a, a fearful world world needs a fearless church. 
and um, you know that we need to be fearless in these times. You know, when the world's at its worst, we need to be at our best as God's people, as the church, as believers. And again, this time of year, and we're celebrating God's answer for the sin, the sin pandemic, um, and that is the death and resurrection of our Savior, who died to purchase a pardon for us at the cross. And so, you know, no one knows the day or the hour when the Lord's going to come back. What is interesting today, though, is you kind of alluded to this earlier, is the convergence of things that we see. You know, Israel, the Jewish people have been in their land since 1948, and, you know, 6% of the Jews in the world lived in Israel in 1948. Now it's over 40%. Um, so, and I call that kind of the super sign of the times, because so many of the prophecies of the end times revolve around the Jewish people being in their land. And Again, we see the globalism uh, that's going to pave the way for one man to rule the world, like the Antichrist. We see... Russia and Iran and these nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39, you know, beginning to form together in a confederacy. Um, and then, again, these all these other things you mentioned that we see as pandemic, the, the worst pandemic in 100 years. So there are a lot of things that point to the coming of Christ. We don't know the time, so we need to be ready all the time. And, again, we don't want to talk about these things to make people um, anxious, but it's to make people aware, to make them alert and, and aware of what's happening. And, Again, to, to fill our lives with hope, but also to fill us with a sense of urgency uh, to, Absolutely. to carry out ministry and, to people around us. And to put this in perspective, you know, when, when the smoke detector goes off in the house, it's not designed just to irritate you at 3 o'clock in the morning or make you feel irritated and anxious. It's there to warn you that there is danger of potential fire so that you can get in and, and, and be responsive to that. And many of these signs, as Pastor Hitchcock is suggesting, are designed to do the exact same thing. Or if they're not intentionally designed that way, they can be used for that in, in God's greater permissive will. I want to take a time out. When we come back, I want to pivot to a, a, a companion topic, because as much as we're trying to understand what's going on right now with this global pandemic, um, there's another area of the world that is very key, and Pastor Hitchcock referred to this a moment ago, pivotal from a eschatological standpoint, and that is the Middle East, specifically Israel. And while it has completely seemingly fallen off the headline news of recent, uh, that won't be for long. And uh, once this passes, we'll be back to seeing more in relationship to what's happening in Israel and in some of the hotbed neighboring countries, such as Iran and Iraq. Pastor Hitchcock has just written a new book called Showdown with Iran, Nuclear Iran and the Future of Israel, the Middle East, and the United States in Bible Prophecy very timely book that's going to be released in just a week, April 14th, by Thomas Nelson Publishers. We'll pivot to that topic as our conversation continues. Best-selling author, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, is with us today, Senior Pastor of Faith Bible Church. We'll take a time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Pastor Dr. Mark Hitchcock is with us today. He has authored more than 30 books related to Bible prophecy, and we are pivoting to this topic of the Middle East and Bible prophecy. And, and certainly up until the current pandemic crisis, Pastor Hitchcock, one of the, the sort of perennial 
points of debate has been um, the issue of what's going on in the Middle East in relationship to Israel and many of her neighbors. And uh, there has been fear that a nuclear Iran could pose some significant instability to the region, not least of which, as you suggested before the break, um, some of the old suspects that we thought were dead and gone, like the collapse of the Soviet Union back in the 1980s and early 90s, have suddenly kind of regrouped and reorganized. Um, in, in relationship to Iran, how much of a real threat does she pose to the future health and stability of Israel? Well, Iran, you know, obviously became the Islamic Republic of Iran back in the late 1970s, and since that period of time, they've basically you know, their their policy has been uh, that they want to wipe Israel off the face of the map, off the face of the earth. So that's been you know Israel's uh, you know America's the great Satan, Israel's the little Satan because you know we support the nation of Israel, uh, but that's their that's their 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 main goal. In fact, you know we we killed the the uh, leader of the revolutionary. Uh, guard there uh, in, in Iran. He was the head of what's called the Quds Force. Well, the word Quds, Al Quds, in Arabic has the idea of uh, of, of Jerusalem. And so, you know, he's the head of the, they call it the Al Quds Force. The reason is everything to focus on it is Jerusalem. Uh, the whole focus of it is on the land of Israel. And again, the Mullah regime that runs the country there, uh, they want to get their hands on nuclear weapons in a bad way. And, and obviously, they're doing everything they can to. You know, they, they talk and build and, and get the Iran nuclear deal, whatever they can do to continue on their path to achieving uh, nuclear weapons. And if they get nuclear weapons, you know, no one knows that they're going to go use them that week and, and attack Israel. But it gives them an unbelievable leverage going forward if they can, you know, fire a nuclear missile into the land of Israel or through one of their proxies, you know, sneak some kind of mu- nuclear device inside the borders of Israel. So they pose a, a very substantial threat to Israel. Um, obviously, they don't have the Air Force Israel has and some of the other things, but but by just sheer numbers. And the other thing about Iran is they have a group of their proxies encircling Israel. So, you know, they're, they're further away, obviously, but they have, they have uh, Hezbollah in the north. Uh, they have, obviously, uh, in Gaza, they have um, Islamic uh, Jihad uh, there, uh, a Palestinian group that's uh that's uh, obviously uh pro-iranian and so they've got these proxies basically surrounding the nation of israel and they're constantly causing israel problems on their northern border uh, their western border um you know iran's stated goal is to destroy the nation of israel to wipe to drive them into the sea and so they pose a, a great threat to israel and again all this fits in with ezekiel 38 which mentions persia in ezekiel 38 verse 5 as part of a coalition of nations will invade Israel in the end times. And, of course, Persia became Iran in 1935. So, you know, here we, you know, we read the news every day. We read about Russia and Iran and these nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38, and it kind of reads like today's headlines. So it's another indication to us of, uh, you know, the inspiration of the Bible and, and the, the uh, veracity of Bible prophecy. Help us understand one thing. We, we often hear this, the, the, and, and they're very public about it. If you, if you watch uh, um, some of the translations of what is said by leadership in Iran, certainly what's said by the imams on any given uh, Friday in the mosque, uh, the desire, the stated goal to want to wipe Israel off the face of the map makes perfect sense. But I've always wondered, and maybe you can put um, some perspective on this, 
a, a nation that would be willing to do that would, would seem to me that they would leave a crater where Israel is currently. And I've often likened the idea of, of Nevada saying, you know what, we're tired of those Californians. We're going to drop a nuclear bomb on Nevada if somehow you could contain all of that to just the state of California and not have radiation and blowback on the, on the state of Nevada as well. Is this really a case where Iran is that dead set, there's that much hatred that they would be willing to even put them, their own lives at risk to go, <coughs> pardon me, to go that far? Well, Iran is, you know, a thousand miles away from Israel. They're a long way from Israel. So, you know, if they're to fire a missile over there, I mean, obviously they're, you know, close enough. I, I'm not an expert on you know, radioactive, uh, you know, uh, uh, waves and, and, and uh, dust and all that that could come to their country. One thing we do know about countries like Iran, they don't care a lot about their citizens. Um, you know, these leaders don't care a lot about their citizens. They're blinded by their rage and hatred against Israel. But they're not that close. You, know, you have to go all the way across Iraq to get to Iran. I mean, it's a, you know, Iran's a good ways away. And so, you know, I don't think they would have any qualms. Of, if they thought that they could take out Israel in some kind of a nuclear explosion, they would do it tomorrow um, if, they, if they really believed they could do that, I think. Um, again, we've been able to, you know, dodge them getting nuclear weapons. But, again, how, you know, we, we don't always know everything they're doing over there. It's all shrouded in secrecy. It's kind of like this COVID thing coming from, from China. You know, there's a lot of secrecy, a lot of uh, misinformation that's given out. Um, but certainly that's their stated goal, and it fits in exactly with what the Bible says you know, there in Ezekiel 38 about Iran being part of this coalition of nations that comes against Israel in the end times. And and certainly as uh, to the point which Scripture speaks to all of this, um, the, the notion that this is this is not an if, this is really a when, and I suppose any efforts by the West to try and uh, maintain a nuclear-free Iran is just as perhaps you're suggesting, just just delaying the inevitable then? Well, that seems to me like what it is. You know, we're kicking the can down the road. The, the Iran nuclear deal, you know, kind of froze things there for some period of time, but then allowed them to ramp it up. And of course, you know, uh, President Trump scrapped that whole deal, which he's been, you know, lauded for by some and criticized by others. But even in that, I mean, it was all it was doing was was delaying the inevitable of Iran getting nuclear weapons. And I think, you know, what what President Trump and what what uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Israel are trying to do is to just forestall that and basically put an end to it, at least as much as can be done in the near future. So that's that's the situation that that's there now. And of course, you know, Russia and China are allied with Iran. You know, they're on the they're on the UN uh, Security Council. They have veto power. So you know, it's a a big game there that's being played. But uh, you know, when you look at, at the nation of Iran, I mean, they they want nuclear weapons in, in, a, in a really bad kind of way. And of course, they're also trying to marry that together with. Uh, ballistic missile uh, technology. So they're doing a lot of testing of missiles because, you know, if you have a, a nuclear weapon, you've got to have a delivery system. And so that's what they've been working on, you know, feverishly to marry those two things together. Um, but, you know, again, their stated goal is to wipe out Israel. And of course, what they're doing right now is they're attacking a lot of our forces in Iraq, kind of these pinprick attacks, you know, just enough to keep us um, you know, on edge. And President Trump just moved some some air defense systems in there this last week, and uh, we've we've taken out you know a few of these proxies that are there in Iran or in Iraq that are supported by Iran. So it's just a it's a real cat and mouse game. We took out 
uh, obviously Soleimani uh, a few months ago, leader of the Quds Force. So there's a lot of these things that are happening, but all these are kind of a build-up, I think, ultimately to a larger conflagration that's going to take place uh, someday, maybe before very long. Well, and certainly as uh, Scripture warns us that there would come a time when men's hearts would fail within them for fear. Um, <laughs> a lot of the circumstances that we're experiencing right now and what you're describing from a, a prophetic standpoint uh, gives gives cause for, for that, um, that passage. It, it's a fascinating book, and it's one that will be available April the 14th. Um, Thomas Nelson is the publisher. The title is Showdown with Iran, Nuclear Iran and the Future of Israel, the Middle East, and the United States in Bible Prophecy. Its author has been our guest on this segment of Lifeline, Pastor Dr. Mark Hitchcock. Pastor, I appreciate so much your time, and uh, when that Corona Crisis books comes out, we'll have to bring you back on the program. I'd love to um, dive a little bit deeper into that. Oh, yeah, I'd love to talk with you about that. Yeah, it's on everybody's minds right now. So thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. God bless you guys. All right. God bless you, too, and uh, stay safe. There is Pastor Dr. Mark Hitchcock, Senior Pastor of Faith Bible Church, and, as we mentioned, an Associate Professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Six o'clock from KFAX San Francisco. Time to get you an update on traffic. <laughs> 